It is great to be with you this morning. Dan has been a dear friend as well to me, praying for, coaching me, encouraging me as well. I learn as much from our church planters as I do from other pastors who've been pastoring many years of their life. Uh, I just want to celebrate. Thanks for being a part of church plant. Isn't it messy and beautiful and uh, crazy sometimes and all the above? And there's just something about this part of church planting that that I love as a congregation is finding new spots and trying to figure out the next spaces and places in your life and ministry here in Little Rock. And that's a lot of what I do is cheerlead, encourage, coach guys to not give up. A lot of my work is reminding pastors of how vital their work is in many of our areas. And I just to say, brothers, uh, keep, keep swinging the hammer, keep after it. We need all the help and encouragement uh, we can in this world as we seek to serve the Lord Jesus in a lost and dying world that needs the hope of the gospel, right? Since central hope is your name. That's why we're here to gather and celebrate the good news of Jesus, who is the Christ. Um, a couple things that may help you. There's about 135 churches in what we call the Mid-South Church Planting Network. About 30 to 35 of those actually participate regularly. Others benefit in other ways. And so I raise support like a missionary to do my work as a coordinator. And then I encourage our partner churches to give to the works that we've identified. And there's an executive committee that oversees my work. And then they help me select church planners for particular areas. We interview them, we recruit them, we assess them. It's a pretty long process. So once we find a guy, it takes a while to put them on the field, actually, because we believe it takes time to find the right guy in the right place. By the sheer grace of God, in my knowledge of the church planting network, which has been in existence, depending on how you view it, about 10 years, uh, we've really only lost one church plant thus far. In our region, the Mid-South region, we've had about a 69% success rate, depending how you break those numbers down, uh, compared to our denomination, the Presbyterian Church in America, which is about 67% at this point. But a question I always get is, Clint, there are churches everywhere. I mean, why are we wasting time? We've been playing churches. And my daughter works in the middle of the Delta in Mississippi. And she'll say to me, Dad, there's 80 churches in Quitman County. And I said, honey, and they need 81. They need one more. <laughs> because of the way churches and new churches can reach and equip and disciple and make new leaders. A lot of churches have no place for you to come and serve. This church has all the places you want to serve. <laughs> Look at Kimberly, like Danny Kimberly. Like, come on, come on, serve. All hands on deck, right? Which is a part of how we're the Ephesians 4 body. The hands, the feet, the ears, the eyes. 1 Corinthians 12, right? That's who we are. And so many hands, I say probably every week as I did announcements like Dan and did pastoral prayer. Many hands make light work. And many hands make messy work. Which is a way in which God really does show us his beauty and calls us to work together. So I believe that churches have a way of recruiting and seeking the lost in new ways that a lot of established churches can't. And then church plants have a way to raise up new leaders to come and serve and be officers and servants of their church. So there are 60% fewer churches now than there were 100 years ago. That's a staggering statistic in a lot of even the growth that's going on in the Memphis area where I live, as well as this area called what you call Little Rock, right? It's growing like crazy. So how are we going to reach these new peoples that are moving in from all around the world? And they are really moving in from all around the world. People are moving more now than they have ever been. And so churches are constantly having to adapt to those people coming in and reaching out to them as well. 
Church plants have the best way to do that, to reach the lost, to equip the saints to do the work of ministry. I, I, I didn't, I've never done any of this by myself, and I want to say two things. First, thanks for being such great friends to Dan and Kimberly and their family, their kids. It's a big deal. Thank you. Let me say thank you again. Um, takes a lot of work, a lot of effort, a lot of sacrifice together. But thank you for loving and supporting them. And I wouldn't be, be here without my wife, Kathy. Kathy's been married to me for 28 years. I don't know how she's done it, by the grace of God. And we have five children, and two of which are full, two of our oldest are married in full-time ministry. And so I come by way of greetings from the Mid-South Church Planting Network, but even from my own family. That allowed us to plant in Hernando for 10 years, did campus ministry for eight years as well. Why don't you open your Bibles or open up your bulletin to Matthew chapter 11, and we'll look at Matthew eleven twenty five through 30. And as you turn there, let me just help us get our minds around maybe something that's very important to us, whether we believe it or not. Um, many of us will, our spring break is next week, maybe your spring break, I think it's in a couple weeks, and summer is upon us pretty soon. And you'll take many trips to your favorite places or visit family where there are sacred favorite places that you go annually for gatherings, for reunions. And those places you have found to be places that give you a lot of hope and maybe even a lot of encouragement. But a lot of us come back from those spaces and places, as I've noted before, like you come back and one of the things we say, I often hear my friends say, you know, I think I need a vacation for my vacation. I'm exhausted. I thought if we went to the cabin, if we went to the beach, if we were that group of people, we would just chill and have a great time. And this would be awesome. But we come back overwhelmed sometimes, don't we? Exhausted, saying, I spent this much money. We did this many things in four days. Are we crazy? Yes, you're probably crazy. And so I want to suggest to you that we are often looking to those places, right, to give us rest, to help us recuperate. Or uh, if, we, if we just get to that place, if I just, in my word, if I could just get to the, to the stream to fish, or go, go hunting, if I can just get there, right? This sort of argument, if I can just have that. And friends, I just want to say this morning that, that, is, that the reason why rest is so elusive is because we keep trying to find rest in either the quantity of time, right? Or a particular place in time that may give us rest. That we might have experienced rest before in those places with those people. But I want to suggest to you this morning that that rest isn't found in the amount of time or a place, it's found in a person. And Jesus is literally the person who walks into the story of redemption, taking on the words of Isaiah chapter 9, where we're told that this savior warrior king would come and that the governments would rest upon his shoulders, that he would uphold the nations upon his shoulders. And in this text, we see something beautiful about Jesus who shows us the intimacy he has with his father and the humility he displays with his disciples, his weary disciples, those who need rest. In a sense, Jesus, the son of God, is pulling back a veil to help us see the very heart of our father who is in heaven, that God desires you to find rest. He desires for your souls to find rest, not in the things you think you can find rest, 
but in the person he's given to us in the work of his son, Jesus. So let's hear the word of God, beginning in verse 25. At that time, Jesus declared, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. This is the very word of God for us this morning. May he bless it to us. Let's pray. Father, we need to hear from you and you have spoken through your word this morning. But it's a dead word unless you make it alive in our hearts. And we pray that you would move our hearts, our minds, and our souls towards you, Heavenly Father. That we would be the one, that we would be the people who would find Jesus to be the one who gives us rest. So you know all of us in this place this morning. We are a restless people. Our hearts and our minds are everywhere most of the time instead of the places in which we sit even today. So would you move towards us? Would you open our minds and our hearts to your truth? Would you comfort the brokenhearted? Would you make uncomfortable the proud heart? And would you help us to believe in Jesus, who is the Christ, the very Savior of the world? We pray this in his name. Amen. My wife and I, Kathy, were at a missions conference a couple years ago in Chattanooga. We went out to eat with our really good friends in downtown Chattanooga. As we came out on the street and we were walking and talking and laughing and smiling, we saw a poor homeless man come up to us and he was very gracious and he came and just asked, hey, do you have, do y'all have some extra money? I really need some food and there's even a homeless shelter I'd like to go stay in at the night, overnight. And we said, well, I never carry any cash. Um, but what's your story? Tell me, are you connected to a church? Do you know anybody in the area? I have friends here. I'd love to, t- to introduce you if I can. And he went on to start telling his story, you know, and, you know, preachers are the worst listeners ever. Okay, you know that because you danger your pastor. Okay, so I know that. He's, I coach him. I try to get him to come so as, as I'm sitting on the streets talking to this guy, and as I'm sitting on the streets with my couple, couple friend, he begins to tell the story. So I get a little anxious because now let me, the story goes like, because he was a little slow and methodical. He's working through this story. And I said, so, so this is what happened, right? The, oh, he's like, he put his hand, finally put his hand on my shoulder and said, Pastor, if you will just be quiet, I will tell you the story. I said, yes, sir. I'm ready to listen to the story. And he went on to tell this amazing story about how he knew Jesus, how he loved the church. And then he went on to pray for us in a profound way, better than most pastoral prayers that I've ever heard in a church. This guy knew Jesus and he knew the church, but he was poor, but he was hopeful and he was looking for help. I just wonder about us this morning. We have such a hard time listening, right? Don't you often say, I know your wife says this, if you would just listen to me, You would hear what I'm saying. We have a really hard time of listening. And we are the most educated and gifted group of Christians in the history of the world. We have more Bible teaching. You have more Bibles everywhere. On your phones, iPads, on your shelves, right? 
We are a people who look to experts on every web page. We are constantly looking for those who have knowledge to give us understanding, particularly all the things we've gone through in the last year. We are a people who love experts and professional so-called wise men, right? But in this passage, Jesus offers us divine knowledge and understanding. And the only question that Jesus is really asking as we look at this text is, are you listening? Are you listening? And if you're listening, then you're going to hear two things. I hope that will represent this text. And the two things are this. Jesus gives us an intimate hope. We see this in how he prays. And Jesus gives us a humble, a humble invitation because he tells us who he really is from his own heart. There's an intimate hope and a humble invitation. In verses 25 to 27, Jesus gives us an intimate hope. We find in this prayer of Jesus in verses 25 and 26, we find comfort in what Jesus prays. Jesus is praying relationally for the church, for those he knows and those he loves and those who he will die for. That's why he says in this prayer, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth. And he goes on to celebrate, right? That you've hid these things from the wise experts and professionals. And you've revealed them to who? Little children. Little people. Those who are, are, are common in their understanding. Jesus prays with gratitude from his heart. Now you need to know this. Jesus in this text should be the most discouraged and disappointed son of God in the world. But he prays with optimism and joy and hope. Because if you walk out of the last text, what we previous to this text, he has just pronounced woes and curses upon the people who have rejected him. They have called him a drunkard. They have said he is a worker of the demons or even Satan. And that he's a friend of sinners and tax collectors. But here Jesus steadies himself by prayer, with the infinite knowledge of his Father's power and authority given to him. That's why he could thank his Father. He was on his mission, doing his work in his world, his work in this world. And so he celebrates this through prayer, and he celebrates the power and authority given to him. He celebrates that he is, the king, he is ushered in the kingdom of God through his person and work. And those who receive him receive a kingdom. Not because they're smart or learned, but because by faith, the gift of faith that they've been given, they receive the kingdom of God. That's why there's this beautiful language here. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. Our Heavenly Father is exceedingly gracious and kind. And grace is beautiful because grace is the unmerited favor of God. You can't earn it and you must always receive it. It's a gift. And you, grace essentially does make you mad a lot of times because God gives grace to people you don't think he should give grace to. And you've thought about that with your own husbands and wives sometimes. I'm not giving you any grace. It's time to talk about this now. But God gives his grace extraordinarily so in each and every area of our lives. And Jesus celebrates his Father's grace. Such was your gracious will. We find comfort in what Jesus prays. But we also find communion in how Jesus prays in verse 27. All things, he says, have been handed over to me by my Father. All things. Everything. This is like Colossians chapter 1, verse 15 and following. Jesus is the super glue of the universe. 
Everything is given to him. All authority, power, dominion belong to him. And he celebrates in prayer this reality. All things have been handed over to me by my father. Now the term handed over was used by religious leaders, right? And teachers in regards to the law. They would hand over their teachings on top of the laws that they passed down. Much great, many more laws on top of the Ten Commandments. And they kept handing these laws down and weighing the people down and wearing the people out. That's why this language handed over is important in this context. Because here what we are learning is that Jesus has been handed over. Every, everything's being handed over to Jesus. We know that they would hand Jesus over right to Rome so that he would be crucified as a part of God's gracious will in saving his people. They didn't only hand it over the law, they handed over him to the law keepers, the law breakers, the Roman government to crucify him. And so here with Jesus' Jesus's divine authority, he receives all who have been given to him. Who is that? Those who believe in him. Those who have faith to trust in him. All of those folks, women, men, children, all who have been entrusted to him are his, for he is the Christ and he offers eternity in his person and his work. So that's the great news. All things have been handed over to Jesus. All the peoples of the earth belong to him for those who would believe upon him. Then he says, right, the phrase, no one knows. No one knows describes a deep and intimate communion shared only by the Son and by the Father. But then amazingly in this prayer, it's also to whom anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. That is us who believe in him. So Jesus is exclusively and sovereignly gracious. He is the Son who communes with his family. And that is the family secret. The family secret is this, that, it, that, that he brings us out of the room of our justification, that courtroom, into the family room of God, where we sang that we have all the rights and privileges of the sons and daughters of God. We belong to him as a family, and he is our elder brother. And as you think about adoption, maybe you've been adopted, maybe you're trying to adopt. In Mississippi right now, there are 50,000 plus children, I was told by a DHS worker, 50,000 children up for adoption. But when one of those children is adopted, what happens? They're given a new name. They're given new privileges. They're given a new place to live, a new family to belong to. That's the picture of the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. We all have to be adopted in. You don't just get to walk up into this place. He's got to bring you into this place by his grace. What we do as a church when you become a member is simply said, God's doing that. We believe that. We confirm that. Welcome to Central Hope, right? Or whatever church you've been a part of. We are celebrating what God does in bringing us into his family room, making us sons and daughters, having all the same equal rights and privileges. No one's better than anyone in the house of God, though the world would lie and tell us differently. We are sons and daughters of the living God because Jesus Christ is our elder brother and he brings us to adoption to his heavenly father. So what about your living rooms and family room discussions? Might have been interesting. Always are. Got four boys and a girl. Always had interesting conversation. But what are you all talking about in your family rooms? What are the topics of the day? Are you even gathering to even talk about the things of the day or of your lives and of your hearts? 
I'm convinced we're talking a lot about nothing. <laughs> because we watch, what do we, we listen. We listen to our, we binge watch our shows. We listen to all of our favorite podcasts. And we listen to our favorite preachers. And we listen to this, we listen to that. We're, we're, a bunch, we're in the midst of a bunch of talking heads. But are we really talking to one another about the things that we need in our own lives and our own families? I'm just simply saying we're talking about the gospel. We're talking about the grace of Jesus. How differently our homes would be, right, if we simply just talked about how good God was with God, how good God was with you today or to, towards you today. That's what we ought to be talking about. And the message of grace is our only hope for communion with Christ and with his people, the very family of God. The gospel must regularly be, be upon our lips and with one another because the gospel, the good news, is the only message that will last through all the talking heads and through all the things that we experience in this life. It is the words of Christ. It is his family adopted in him that gives us hope. Christ gives us an intimate hope. The second thing this morning, in verses 28 to 30, Jesus gives us a humble invitation. Notice there is a command. This is an invitation, but it's really got more juice on it than that. It's a command. And he prays with urgency for the church. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden. That's an invitation, but it's got some teeth to it. It's a command. Come to me. Now, the kicker is, the only difference is, is this question. Who is he talking about? He is talking about people who know, right, that they are weary and heavy laden. That's the only qualification. That you know that you are weary and heavy laden. And if you're not thinking enough about the gospel and thinking enough about your own life, then, you're not, then, you, then you are not thinking about being weary and heavy laden. So the who is this? Do you recognize yourself to be weary and heavy laden? That's it. We sing a beautiful hymn sometimes in the church. All the fitness that he requires is to feel your need of him. That's what we sing. And we sing it over and over again. You know what the refrain is? He is able. He is able to do helpless sinners good. That's it. The only requirement of the gospel is that you feel your need of Jesus. And he will give you life and he will bring you into his family. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden. I'm convinced in my own life and most of the pastors that I pastor, the church planters that I coach, is that these are the hardest verses to believe in. That we really feel like we need Jesus to believe in him. So the question is, are you going to Jesus with your weariness and heavy burdens? And if you're not, why not? Go to him. He commands you to come to him. Now Jesus promises rest today in himself. We can say, what kind of rest? That's a good question. What kind of rest does Jesus promise? Well, first we know he promises us rest from the reality, the pain, the consequences of sin, particularly even our sin when we trust in him, right? Mm. That Jesus gives us what the philosophers call, right, cognitive rest. That he can literally wipe away sin in your life, in your heart, in your mind, and give you hope. Now, you're going to go back through that treadmill again. Don't get me wrong. 
That's why you keep coming to him because you're going to be weary and heavy laden when you think about your sin. But he will meet you in that place. He promises you cognitive. He promises you physical rest. That's why we come on this day and read his scriptures and worship his great name. He promises to be with us and give us rest in himself even on a particular day. You know, the great philosopher and also theologian said we are restless, right, until we find our rest in him. We must acknowledge that sin is devastating and destructive so we find our spiritual and physical rest in him. Jesus is our Sabbath. You can read this later in the book of Matthew. And what's happened over the last couple of years is, as one church planner said, Jesus Christ has forced a sabbatical. He's made us rest, and we don't like it. We don't like it one bit. I know a lot of good friends, a lot of my friends who even support my work, who made a lot of money. But they weren't banking on being home with their kids for four weeks in a row before they go back to the office. They learned some stuff about them and their wife and their families that they used to just go, you know, I got a business trip. I got to get on that plane. I got to head down that road. See y'all a little bit. No, they had to deal with their families. They had to think about who they were. They had to ask harder questions than they were asking before about their family and being a husband and father. And beautifully, right? Beautifully, they, some of these men who I know started leading their kids to Christ and showing them how much they needed Jesus. These are church planters and friends who began to realize how much they had given away to the world. But God calls, forces sabbatical. And there are some men. Jesus invites all of us to ask this question of ourselves. How is your soul doing? Consider your spiritual life your soul that will last forever, whether believer or unbeliever this morning. You were either running away from Christ or you were seeking after him. And our hearts are restless until they find their rest in him. There is nobody like Jesus. He is gentle and lowly. Christ, we see, gives us a humble invitation. Close with this story in another Bible verse. But I, we were on family vacation and all my boys are a lot older. I have four boys, highly competitive Athletes all played college football at some point. And so when I, as a young father now, mind you, uh, if I wanted to play a game, I had to like raise my hand and say, hey, can I play basketball with you guys? Or, hey, I'll be the pitcher. I'll be the all-time pitcher. They didn't ever need a dad, really. But there was this moment when I was sitting on the beach and looking out at them all playing around the waves together. It was a beautiful day. And one of my sons put one of my other sons on his shoulders and just waded out of the water. Because one of my sons is like 6'3". So he's just wading out of the water. And I was sitting back, and I had a moment. I said, wait a minute. I used to do that. That doesn't seem fair. Those guys are having fun, and I used to take them in and out of the surf. They don't need me anymore. And then it hit me. That is discipleship, right? It's something we learn and repeat in our lives. So at one moment I was upset, the next moment I rejoiced because that is a picture of discipleship. We get to put our lives upon Jesus' shoulders and then we get to be the strong shoulders of Jesus, strong shoulders of Jesus to each other. That's why Galatians 6 says this, keep watch on yourself, lest you be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, so fulfill the law of Christ. And this is what you are reminded of every week through worship and the means of grace, the Lord's table this morning. You see, Jesus is coming to shoulder the weary nations. And my friends, you 
are the weary nations. Do you know that? Are you listening? You need to remember this. That Dan, your pastor, and all those who help alongside him, his shoulders aren't big enough. Look at his shoulders. He's, I got bigger shoulders than <laughs> Your retirement or your plans is not substantial enough. And your life on this earth will never be long enough in your eyes. But today, the Heavenly Father has sent his Son in the world to make disciples, to make learners by placing our salvation and our lives upon his shoulders. Won't you find rest in him today? Are you listening? Are you listening? Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest, even rest for your souls. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We are so thankful that we can always bring our burdens and our struggles and our problems to you. Because, Lord Jesus, you knew about them long before we would bring them to you. So today, would you help us at your church run to Jesus to cast off our cares and our burdens that weigh us down. You invite us with such a great promise. Come unto me. May we go to you. May we run to you. Would you help us to do that? We pray in Jesus' name.